Pulling up to Mickey D's just for drinks? Oh yeah, that's me. Nothing extra, just perfection and a straw. Coming in hot for the coldest cups on the block. Because there are drinks. Then there are drinks from McDonald's. Mix things up with any size lemonade or sweet tea for $1.49. Perfect with our classic fries. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Amplify your career through training and development solutions specifically designed for federal government professionals. From courses to help you attain or retain certification, to individualized coaching services, to programs that hone your leadership skills and business acumen. Management Concepts optimizes your professional development. Online, in person, individually, or groups. It's training that's measurably better. Learn more at managementconcepts.com. That's managementconcepts.com. Annabeth, Rachel Elizabeth there, and Percy. You have to not laugh because it's for the audio purposes of the show. Now you're going to laugh because I told you not to. It is a pleasure to be here in Los Angeles, California. Good to be back. Last time I was here, it was uh, February of 2020. <laughs> but I'm very excited to be here to talk about a very fun book series, Percy Jackson and the Olympians. You might have heard of it before. <laughs> Going to be talking about a very intense chapter. And because the chapter is so intense, and under normal circumstances of the podcast as well. I can't do this alone. I need to be joined by a guest. So please make some noise for LA local and past guest, but you don't know that because the live show episode from last night didn't come out yet. <laughs> make some noise for Grant Ron, everybody. I chose the wrong way around that mic stand. Hey, there's no wrong way. I don't think that's true. There I think I could have, I could have stayed on stage. This is ruining my big mic energy. I wore this shirt, it says Big Mike, so you know. It's my podcast now. <laughs> Hello, today I will be playing the role of Little Mike. <laughs> We're going to be talking about chapter 15 of the fourth book, Percy Jackson and the Battle of the Labyrinth. Now, because you were the guest in the last episode, uh -huh. I now get to ask you the repeat guest question. My which... first time hearing the repeat guest question. <laughs> this is... <laughs> The repeat guest question is, what are your godly parents? So if you were getting sorted Ooh. into a cabin at Camp Half-Blood, which one do you think you'd get put into? That's a tough question. I like Poseidon a lot, but I don't think I'm very sea-like okay. in any way. I think I'm going to go Athena. Oh, yeah. yeah. You're wise. You're a smart cookie. Thank you so much. <laughs> What well, else? We'll have to have you take one of those tests, one of the quizzes, so we can see. Yeah, it's true. Are you, according to readroyorden.com or right. Rick Royorden's website is, right. are you truly an Of course he has one. Man? I didn't even consider that I could be upstairs taking the quiz. <laughs> <laughs> Knowing for sure. I'm wearing a mechanics thing, so maybe I should be Hephaestus. Maybe you are Hephaestus. You are Big Mike. Yeah. <laughs> Ask me anything about motorcycles. What? is the best motorcycle. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> See, you could have said anything with conviction and I would have been like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Because the only thing I know about motorcycles is to never ride them. Don't worry, Barb and Joel listening after the fact. 
I'm not going to do it. I too am scared of them. <laughs> so chapter 15 of this book is called We Steal Some Lightly Used Wings, a powerful chapter title. And of course, I always try to guess what this chapter could be about. And my thought was, all right, well, we've had mention of Daedalus and the Icarus story. There were some wings. I feel like they are probably going to use those wings. Probably not the exact same ones, but what I exactly wrote in my notes was, oh boy, Steel makes me think that they get to Daedalus' workshop. It does not go well at all, and then they have to get out of the workshop using his wings. Feels a bit early to completely leave the labyrinth, but who knows where they're going. So uh, we'll see how accurate of of a prediction based on at least the last chapter. I might be on a bit of a hot streak with guessing things correctly, which is nice since that's not par for the course. Now, where we last left our heroes in the last chapter, we had them fighting in the arena, getting out of the arena, making a big distraction, and then trying to leave the arena. So we resume, and Rachel Elizabeth Dare points out the way that they need to go. Annabeth asks why they should trust her, since she just led them into a trap. And Rachel Elizabeth Dare says that it is the way that they needed to go, and so is this. And I appreciate that Rachel Elizabeth Dare is not backing down. She has people questioning her leadership abilities, and she says, no. I'm right. Yeah. Let's do this. Clearly, there's something about the arena. I don't know if Annabeth has heard anything, but Luke Mm. kept mentioning the arena. So, like, it's some key to something. Maybe it's, like, that particular part on a driver, like, you have to go through. It's the big circle that you don't want to have to drive around. What's a big L.A. traffic thing that sucks that you have to drive? The whole city. The whole city. Los Angeles. Okay, yeah. Sorry, I figured. (laughs) It was fun when we were at your place today in undisclosed location uh, and we were deciding when to leave for the venue and very like straight face. You were like, oh, there's a potential that it could take up to an hour and a half. <laughs> I was like, isn't the show in L.A. and don't you live in L.A.? Technically no to both. I, think. <laughs> I stand corrected. <laughs> so. Rachel is but there, not backing down. She's absolutely thriving in this role. She's navigating with ease. She's winding around corners. She's calling out traps for them to dodge. It's fantastic stuff. Now, they make loads of turns, and they don't stop until they reach a gymnasium-sized room that has big marble columns in it. And Percy listens at the door to hear if there's any footsteps, if they're still being chased, and it appears as if they are not. It seems like they've lost the army, so they feel like they can breathe just a little bit. But... That doesn't last long because Percy realizes that Mrs. O'Leary, our big dog friend who had been following along, is no longer following along. Yeah. Which is really sad. I was very happy to have Mrs. O'Leary on the team. It's like when you're playing Kingdom Hearts and you get that extra person that kind of walks around and sometimes fights some other baddies for you. And then we immediately lost Mrs. O'Leary. I'm worried about you introducing Kingdom Hearts this early into what is is not a Kingdom Hearts podcast, supposedly. And that's never stopped me before. (laughs) Didn't stop us last night, might not stop us tonight, but the number of parallels between the two franchises, shockingly high. (laughs) So he is upset and Percy feels even worse because she saved their lives and he didn't even check to make sure that she was still with them. So he feels really guilty about the whole situation. He also did, the last thing he did was tell her to sit there, like to heal. Yeah. So she's just sitting there with the monsters, theoretically. Okay, so here's my question yeah. that I'm glad you've brought up because I didn't bring it up last time. Yeah. Because I didn't want to look silly in front of a bunch of people. Now I will look silly in front of more people. Yeah. <laughs> when you tell a dog to heal, uh-huh. does that just mean stay? Uh, okay. Uh, Decided no from the crowd. Yeah. <laughs> because Percy says heal, and then Mrs. O'Leary followed along. I feel like, yeah, heal is like stop attacking, right? Like... 
Yeah. Oh, heal stop, means to stop, come. Stop doing what you're doing. Yeah. Okay. Stop this stuff. Get yeah. over here. Got it. Not okay. necessarily stop attacking, but sure. yeah, dogs yeah. do other things too. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Good. Well, didn't tell Mrs. O'Leary to stop, yeah. but also uh, yeah. didn't check that she was still behind them when they were going through. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it my happens. belief, though, is that she's got to be okay. There's no way that this is going to be the end of right. Mrs. O'Leary. It'd be a very weird writer move for her it just to be like, and Mrs. O'Leary died because Percy didn't turn around. <laughs> it's the opposite of the Orpheus story. Ah! <laughs> so I think she's going to be okay. Now, the other reason that I thought maybe she's not along with them is she feels like she's a bit too overpowered. So maybe it would yeah. just be like a little too easy yeah. for Percy to have giant hellhound at his side the whole time. So maybe it was one of those like things where we got to make it work for the purposes of the story sort of deal. But don't worry, she may or may not come back in a couple of pages. <laughs> Ethan removes his helmet, our good friend Ethan Nakamura, yeah. and he falls to the floor trying to catch his breath. Annabeth then recognizes him without his helmet. She recognizes him as an undetermined kid from the Hermes cabin a few years back. So last chapter, we didn't know where this guy was from. Now we know he was at one point a part of Camp Half-Blood. Yeah. So I'm very intrigued by his whole deal. He says that he remembers Annabeth as well. She asks what happened to his eye, and he gives a look that makes it clear that he does not want to talk about it, which I think is fine. I mean, like, it I don't was know. embarrassing then, right? Like, <laughs> otherwise, <laughs> yeah, I don't know. Otherwise, I'd, you'd mention it. <laughs> I will say that, like, anytime I see someone who has, I don't know, like, if someone's got like a cast or something, like, everything in my brain is like, yeah. don't ask them about it. Yeah, don't they, ask them about it. Don't, very abrupt. Every time I had some sort of injury or something, people always ask about it, and I hate it. So I'm was always it just Annabeth like, don't, don't, don't. Yeah, Annabeth asked. That's, it just seems like a Percy move. It does. Well, maybe these people are both 13. <laughs> are they 14 at this point? I always forget. I think they're 14, yeah. yeah. But the thing that Percy at least does is he does a lot of thinking. They probably get this question a lot. I probably shouldn't do it, which I think is just like a great way to approach conversations. Yeah. It's just look at a person and be like, ah, they're tall. People probably ask if they play basketball all the time. Not going to ask right. that. Right. How's the weather? Oh, uh. <laughs> So she asks this question. He doesn't want to talk about it. Percy thinks that Ethan must be the demigod from his previous dream, where Luke said that they had a demigod cornered. Back at that dream, Percy thought that it was Nico. Now he's thinking yeah. maybe it's Ethan. Ethan asks, who's Nico? But Annabeth says, all right, not important. Let's get back on track. Whole lot. <laughs> what were you trying to do? Why were you trying to join up with the wrong side? And again, join up which is the phrase used last time yeah. and now is used in this chapter as well, feels just like a weird phrase. I don't understand yeah. join up. I don't know if this is Uncle Rick being like, that's what the kids say. <laughs> I'm sticking with my, we are supposed to find the words join up suspicious. Right. Like we're leaving something out when we say join up. Ethan goes classic modern villain by saying, there's no right side. The gods never cared about us. Why shouldn't I? And then Annabeth jumps in with quite the zinger, Sign up with an army that makes you fight to the death for entertainment? Gee, I wonder. <laughs> Pretty solid stuff from Annabeth. Yeah. Also, like, the greater the suffering, the greater the peace. So, mm -hmm. sorry, that's a line for Mission Impossible. <laughs> you, I did this whole thing in the car. You it's, did it in it the car. really funny. Like, I don't know. Maybe it's it a, really funny. Look, it's an L.A. We town. We can back up. Do you want to explain it? Well, I mean, I don't know. So there's this guy, and he, like, made a nuclear bomb. <laughs> Please, please, let's go. <laughs> Look, we're in L.A. I figured they could all be. I feel everyone in L.A. Right. has seen every movie. You guys you all know, fall asleep. We saw, the, we're right by the Scientology building, yeah. so they've seen every Tom Cruise movie. Like, It just goes hand in hand. Yeah. They've seen all the Mission Impossibles. Yeah. 
Anyway, uh, Ethan says he can't argue with that. He thanks them for the help, but he says he's going to leave. Percy says that they're going after Daedalus, and he tells Ethan that Camp Half-Blood would welcome him back in with open arms if he sticks with them throughout the rest of their quest. He says they're in for disappointment if they think that Daedalus will help them. Doesn't Ethan then say, like, are you sure? And Percy would be like, I don't know, actually. Yeah. <laughs> Percy would be like, if I was running it, but I'm not, so... <laughs> Yeah, you're not very There's like far a drunk off. dude, so who's <laughs> somewhere? Annabeth says that he has to, Daedalus has to help them, and if he doesn't want to, they'll make him help them, but Ethan then laughs and says, good luck with that. So mm. that is uh, what you're referencing there. Yeah, he basically says, all right, if you want to, but I don't know. <laughs> Percy asks Ethan if he's really going to venture out into the maze alone, wondering if he has some sort of death wish because that's just a recipe for disaster. He stares at Percy angrily, and Percy notices that Ethan's eye patch is very tattered, so he must have had it for a very long time. Mm. Ethan says, quote, you shouldn't have spared me, Jackson. So they're on a last name basis, I guess. You shouldn't have spared me, Jackson. Mercy has no place in this war, which is just a really weird, yeah. ominous type thing to say. Clearly there's another shoe to drop with this guy, but mm -hmm. I don't know. He has real, like the one Power Ranger that's not in the original set who's way stronger than the others. Oh, yeah. Energy. The White Power Ranger. And he, he's working for Rita Repulsa, who's a real sure. god, obviously. Yeah, yeah. And, uh, mm -hmm. yeah. I don't know. There's something going on there. There is something going on there. I think there is Ethan Nakamura to the story. <laughs> Just love that right now. I'm really proud of myself. I'm but so f***ing jealous of that. <laughs> Uh, yeah, I, I think there is more going on. It feels like this is not the last we've seen of him. Yeah, It just feels yeah, yeah. like if you're going to get a first name and a last name, and we're going to talk to you a little bit, this feels very reminiscent of when Rachel Elizabeth Dare came in towards the end of book three. Right. Came in, did a whole bunch of stuff, then we didn't see her. It's like, she's got to come back. She's got three names. So I feel <laughs> like I feel like Ethan is the same. He's going to get back in the mix. Annabeth, Rachel, Elizabeth there, and Percy make camp in the large gymnasium-sized room. Annabeth thinks that something was up with Luke in the arena, like he was acting differently. But Percy, who I'm aligned with, says that he looked like he was having a great day torturing heroes. <laughs> Annabeth pushes back, saying that something was wrong and that he looked nervous, and she brings up reminding Percy that he spared Annabeth and he wanted to tell her something. And Percy says, quote, probably, hi, Annabeth, sit here with me and watch while I tear your friends apart. It'll be fun. Yeah. <laughs> I like that Percy has no patience and no tolerance for Luke because it's exactly how I feel. I have no sympathy for this guy. I don't care about him at all. I yeah. feel a zero percent bad for him. Yeah, that's a hundred percent an exchange for us, the audience, because Percy's just like, "Yeah, I'm gonna kill him regardless, whether something's <laughs> up or not." This is for us to be like, "Oh, something's changing with Luke. I wonder what's going on." Yeah, but I didn't really pick up on that when Annabeth said it. I no. just thought he was being same old, same old. Yeah. But I guess she knows him better than Percy slash us since we kind of see the world through Percy's eyes. So maybe she could tell. I thought all that stuff too. Yeah. yeah. Cool. <laughs> Read and comprehension. <laughs> Annabeth calls Percy impossible and then says to Rachel Elizabeth Dare, she asks, so which way now, Sacagawea? <laughs> which is, <laughs> is pretty good. Maybe kind of yikesy. <laughs> but at least in terms of the joke she's going for, yeah, I don't know if Annabeth knows all that went down with Lewis and Clark. I also don't know, because my history textbook was just like, yeah, they discovered the West, and everything was okay, and she's on the dollar coin now. Sacagawea! Yeah. I'm sure if I pulled up Wikipedia, it would be like, everything bad yeah. happened to her. They yeah. treated her really poorly. Yeah. Her name wasn't even Sacagawea. Yeah. Like, it was a butchered mispronunciation. Yeah. Well, maybe I'll do that during intermission. Read up on <laughs> 
Enjoy the that. first mid-episode apology of Butterless <laughs> History. It's just like, look, if this was a normal, not live episode, I could quick Google this, but we have a show to get through. It was weird. Yeah, I don't know. I feel like she could have come up with something better, but then it's like, I guess she's leading them. Whatever, let's move on. I'm trying to, is there, we could workshop. Oh, she could have called her like the North Star. That could have been good. Mm-hmm. I don't think there's any like bad vibes. Like, I don't know. Hold on, Wikipedia. The North Star is actually <laughs> racist. <laughs> Rachel but there does not respond right away. And narrator Percy notes that she's been quieter since the arena and basically no longer responds when Annabeth hits her with some sort of sarcastic comment, which, yeah, yeah there's only so much of those that you can take in one afternoon. Right. So I totally get it. And Rachel Elizabeth Dare draws a Dracani on the ground. She took a stick and put it in the ashes of the fire, and she draws an absolutely perfect Dracani, and she says that they will just follow the brightness on the floors like they've been doing all along. Annabeth points out that this strategy led them into a trap, so maybe it's not the best strategy, but Percy tells her to lay off because Rachel Elizabeth Dare is doing the best she can. I like Percy being a supportive friend. It's yeah. nice. Now, Annabeth notes that the fire is getting low, so she offers to get wood scraps, but then it turns out that this was not actually a genuine offer. She wanted to get in a sick burn, quote, while you guys talk about strategy. So (laughs) she wasn't being nice. She was being petty. (laughs) Percy tries to assure Rachel Elizabeth Dare that Annabeth isn't always like this, saying that he's not sure what's gotten into her, and Rachel Elizabeth Dare asks if he really doesn't see what's going on. (laughs) Percy asks, what do you mean? Proving that he doesn't. And Rachel Elizabeth Dare goes, boys. (laughs) Percy doesn't want Rachel Elizabeth Dare to also be upset with him. And he apologizes for dragging her into this. But she says that it was the right call to get her involved because she clearly can see the path, even if she can't explain why it's the right way. She just knows that it's the right way. So she points out the direction where the workshop is, noting that Daedalus's workshop is close. And she apologizes for taking them through the area that almost resulted in Percy's death. And she's on the verge of tears. So Percy tries to reassure her by saying, I'm basically always on the edge of dying anyway. <laughs> so don't sweat it. And you know what? You're not wrong, Percy yeah. Jackson. It's, I thought it was really grim and sad. I mean, he is. He doesn't mm-hmm. expect to make it till 16. And you sort of forget about that. Right. I feel like he's kind of taking the best approach to it. He's just yeah. knowing, all right, there's a good chance in any given day or minute that I could die. So why don't I just like make some cool jokes about it? Yeah. And that's how I cope with it. Humor. <laughs> Rachel Elizabeth Dare asks if this is every summer for Percy or if he ever does normal stuff instead. And Percy doesn't really give an answer other than saying that half-bloods just kind of have to deal with this. It just yeah. sort of comes with the territory. He asks what she does. She says painting and reading. And narrator Percy says, okay, I thought. So far, we are scoring a zero on the similarities chart. <laughs> so Percy Jackson, main character of a book, doesn't books. read books. No books. <laughs> Interesting pull for Rick. He asks about her family, which is a bold move, seeing that the only mention of her family was any... Really negative. Yeah, yeah really just bad. a very awkward yeah. conversation and really a non-conversation, a non-versation, if you will. Asks about her family, and Percy can tell immediately that she does not want to get into it. She tries to brush it aside, but Percy brings up, and I cannot believe he did this. He's usually bitter about this. He brings up, no, you said that if you went missing, your parents wouldn't notice if you were gone for like a week. So what's going on there? (laughs) Just paraphrasing. And then she goes, ah, I'm tired. I'm going to go to bed. (laughs) He really had like 
tell me about a book, like any book. Just tell me about it. It was right there. You could have asked so many better what, questions. What's a painting like? Right. Maybe get through a couple yeah. layers of small talk before, hey, you seem like you don't like your parents. What's right. the deal with that? So she curls up, faces away from Percy, but he can tell that she's not actually going to sleep. Brutal. Percy, though. <laughs> brutal for everyone involved. Really awkward. Super moment. brutal. Annabeth returns a few minutes later. She offers to take the first watch of staying awake while the other two sleep. She says that Percy should get some sleep as well. He says that Annabeth doesn't have to act like this. And she asks, like, what? And he says, never mind. And he just lays down, feeling both miserable but also incredibly tired. So he falls asleep almost instantly, meaning it's fun Percy Jackson dream time. Yeah. You've all clapped for a sad situation. <laughs> this one's bad. Crush me. Percy immediately in the stream hears cold, harsh laughter as he is standing at the edge of a pit in Tartarus. Classic Percy Jackson dream stuff. Kronos, the only person who can be in the Tartarus pit dream, says, quote, so close to your own destruction, little hero. Oh, sorry. <clears throat> so close to your own destruction, little hero. And you are still blind. Percy notes that the voice sounds a little bit different, though, more physical than before, quote, as if it were speaking from a real body instead of dot, 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 whatever he'd been in his <laughs> chopped up condition. <laughs> I do like when narrator Percy writing, quote, unquote, this yeah. book, when he doesn't know what to do. He gets halfway through a sentence and is like, I actually don't know the word that I'm looking for. Yeah, yeah whatever he was. I feel like he's just powering through, right? He's like, mm -hmm. I'm going to start paying attention to something else in 15 minutes, so I'm getting <laughs> as much of this chapter out as possible. Yeah, baby! Kronos thanks Percy for assuring his rise, and he says that he will do Percy a favor since the Titan Lord always pays his debts. He offers to provide an update on Grover and Tyson, and then Percy gets transported to a different cave where Tyson abruptly enters, and he calls for Grover, who is behind him, to hurry up. Turns out that they are being chased by a snake that is basically as big as the tunnels. So big yeah. doom worm vibes. Just a big old, ah, or also, hmm, what was the big, there's a big worm in a SpongeBob episode, right? That was just as big as the tunnel. Yeah, thank you, thank you. It's pretty good. Yeah, I was a little disappointed by the difference between the SpongeBob reaction. But, uh, you know, I understand. <laughs> you want a bigger more, Dune? I'm much happier. Nah, I mean, like, Dune about worm, and this book is going to be about worm, so that's mm -hmm. good. Yeah. I feel like the, the rest of this worm. is going to follow the worm, right? <laughs> <laughs> and now, chapter 16, the perspective of the worm. <laughs> I was chasing the goat boy. <laughs> So this big old worm is chasing after them. It is very angry. It has very large fangs, fangs the size of Tyson, who we know is a big boy. Grover dodges the snake's snapping attacks, and then Tyson hits it in the face with a boulder, which is awesome. Grover tells Tyson, though, that the snake just told Grover, since he can speak to animals, that it wants to eat Tyson, so Tyson should run. So he tries to get away from the snake, but it knocks Tyson over, and then it begins to kind of constrict him tighten him up with its body. Now Tyson tries to break free, but it doesn't look like it's going super well. Grover tries to hit the snake with the reed pipes, which is not an ideal use of reed pipes. No, yeah. Not a really... For a hallway-sized snake. No, not a good strategy. <laughs> the snake squeezes Tyson harder. Grover starts playing the reed pipes, which is a better use of reed pipes. And then stalactites begin to rain down from the ceiling. The cave looks like it's ready to collapse. And then Percy is woken up from his dream. Um, I wanted to apologize for saying I was disappointed by the SpongeBob reaction earlier. <laughs> I'm really on the spot here. It's not my normal thing. 
I love SpongeBob. I'm so sorry, everyone. It's all good. It's all good. I'll just forward any email that someone sends to me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. In between the like three minutes yeah, yeah. of when they listen and your apology, I'll just send it right to your inbox. I assume there's just like an email per minute. Like everybody does it, right? There are some things where people will send emails where I will make a correction later in the episode. Yeah. And then someone will send an email and then I'll get an email 23 minutes later. It's like, oh, sorry, you just made the correction <laughs> in the episode. It's like you couldn't even. Can you send me the next finish? time that happens? Couldn't the even next time that happens, finish? I'd love to read that email. Okay, yeah, I'll let you know. I'll let you know. It's just like, you couldn't even finish the episode before sending me the email with the well, actually? Come on, there's still a chance that I yeah. said the correction. Okay, so so Tyson and Grover have died off screen. No, no. Uh, <laughs> look, I don't know, man. I haven't read past this chapter, so who knows? Annabeth is the person who has woken up Percy. And Percy immediately, once he's awake, says, Tyson's in trouble. So he wants them to go help him. Annabeth says that first they have to deal with the earthquake that is going on around them. And Percy notices that, oh, yes, that's correct. There is an earthquake happening. Ah. So he wakes up, Rachel is there, and they all run out of this gymnasium. They safely avoid all of the falling columns that are in the room, and that causes Annabeth to say that she likes this path now. She's on board <laughs> with following the route that Rachel Elizabeth there puts out for them. She points them down another direction, and they go into a steel hallway with a futuristic vibe and bright fluorescent lights. So very un-labyrinth-like yeah. thus far. So Poseidon's the Earthshaker, right? Yes. We're calling him Earthshaker a lot in this book. Yes. I've noticed. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So did he do that? Did the worm do that? Oh, I don't know what it is. It could just be... And all these people do, and we're talking. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if something else caused the shaking. It could just be something where this was a safe room, but eventually yeah. everything in the labyrinth comes to get Just you. Indiana Jones to them right into, just, right into the... I into think the what it also could be is maybe the, uh, the book shaker, Uncle Rick, saying, plot needs to happen, get out of there. <laughs> Just gotta, yeah, yeah. gotta, you gotta just, get him into the next room. Yeah, Let's they can't go. just hang out in this big gymnasium. The Does whole Annabeth time. need to sleep? No, she's no. a fictional character. <laughs> She'll be we're, okay. We're <laughs> She'll sleep later. Yeah. So Rachel Elizabeth there says that they are close to the workshop. Annabeth says that it makes no sense because the workshop should be in the oldest part of the labyrinth. So all of the architecture should be old. This looks too modern. She's clearly forgotten about the existence of renovations. Yeah. <laughs> Very odd since she wants to be an architect and that is a big portion of the job. Architects aren't always just making new buildings. Architect corner, baby. Architect corner. I could bring Kelly in. She'd be like, yes, I've done renovation projects. She's not here. Nobody get excited. No. She is in Miami with a friend of hers having a good time. So yeah, good for her indeed. (laughs) I'll I'll tell her you say hi. Thank you so much. So, yeah, renovations are a thing. Come on, Annabeth. You can do it. But she is confused about this, and she stops commenting on this when they approach a set of double metal doors with a big blue Greek delta inscribed into it, meaning they are probably at the workshop. So Annabeth pushes on the symbol, and the doors hiss open, and Percy says, so much for ancient architecture, which is a needless dig. (laughs) Annabeth is not having a great time. Her quest has been taken out from under her. She's been wrong multiple times throughout the journey, and then Percy turns her I don't know, like, I... It doesn't seem like he was trying to do this. Like, it seems like he was maybe trying to take a dig at the people or the book or whatever information was presented to her that told her it would be in the architecture. But it does kind of come across as, well, you're wrong, idiot. (laughs) 
Ah, not a good chapter for normally like, socially aware Percy Jackson. Four pages ago, he was like, I think I'm on thin ice with both these people. <laughs> <laughs> Better go to sleep. <laughs> and then wake up and continue to hammer the ice. <laughs> Annabeth scowls as she should, and they enter the workshop. Surprisingly, there is a great deal of daylight in the workshop. It's being let in through giant windows. And this workshop looks like it's an artist's studio with 30-foot tall ceilings, industrial lighting, polished stone floors, workbenches along the windows, a spiral staircase to a loft above, easels with da Vinci-style sketches on them, laptops, and jars full of Greek fire, as well as metal inventions, a bronze chair torture device, and a human-sized metal egg, along with a glass grandfather clock and several sets of bronze and silver wings. You know, just your normal artist's <laughs> studio. I don't know if they could have clarified this a little bit better. Maybe I, a giant rich artist studio, but this was yeah. like way yeah. bigger than anything I could have imagined. I have an MFA and this is what it's like. Yeah, you've got one yeah. of those? Uh-huh. Just 30 foot tall lo- loft. Yeah, I'll show you. Yeah. yeah. Bronze metal torture yeah. device chair. Just all the, all the standard. You don't have a bronze metal torture device? No, I don't. But we are going to set up a home studio in the new place <laughs> where that Kelly and I are moving into. So maybe... You know, I'll take a look at the, at the right. floor plan and see if yeah. we have room for bronze metal torture device. Isn't it going to, the home studio going to be in a walk-in closet? Was it what I just well, hearing about that? We are going to have a two bed and then the second bedroom will be a studio. But then specifically within that, I'm right. turning a walk-in closet into my yeah. little recording booth setup. Yeah. yeah. Okay. So the chair will go in the big room. Yeah, it'll go in the big room. And then the small room will just have my microphone and stuff. I don't think there's room for the torture device. What happens in. next, do you think? What happens in next in the story? Thing, yeah, let's yeah. get back to it. Okay. <laughs> That's a good way of my normal bit of anyway, Percy Jackson. <laughs> you know I could talk about the chair for an hour. Oh, yeah, of I'm course. Just, I'm just of thinking. course. Annabeth is impressed by a drawing she sees of a building. Looks very architectural. Rachel Elizabeth Dare is impressed by the wings. And Percy notes that the wings look a bit more advanced than the wings he saw previously when Daedalus and Icarus were flying. Specifically, Percy says that the feathers look more tightly interwoven and there are adhesive strips on it instead of wax seals. So this is good kind of checking the boxes of what failed in the past. It appears like Daedalus is not home, but Percy gets the sense that he was here recently because there was some food out and then the laptops are on screensaver mode and not all black screen mode. Percy approaches a window to take in the view of the Rocky Mountains and he wonders aloud where they are and a voice from behind him answers the question, saying, Colorado Springs, the garden of the gods. And on the spiral staircase above them is the person who spoke. He has a weapon drawn, and it's Quintus, our good old friend that we've been potentially worried about the whole yeah, book. Yeah, yeah, Chekhov's Quintus. Mm-hmm, Chekhov's Quintus indeed. Annabeth, see? Yeah, they yeah. Got I gotta speak up, I guess. It's okay. <laughs> I'm making sure that it gets passed to you and I Thank am you. not Thank the you. person in class who just says the joke louder and then everybody laughs. Yeah. It's always the worst when that happens in sixth grade. It's always the worst when that happens in sixth grade. <laughs> <laughs> well played, well played, well played. That's my best moment of the night. <laughs> it's pretty good. It's, it's a good one. <laughs> Annabeth asks Quintus what he's done with Daedalus, and he says, nah, you don't want to meet him. Don't worry about it. Annabeth gets enraged, and she says, look, Mr. Traitor, <laughs> which got him. <laughs> no, wait a sec. 
<laughs> Nailed it. Look, Mr. Traitor, I didn't fight a dragon woman and a three-bodied man and a psychotic sphinx to see you. Now, where is Daedalus in all caps? And I wrote here in my notes, okay, but didn't Percy fight some of these people? <laughs> Famously, you were tied up while Percy fought the three-bodied man. You did assist in the dragon fighting and the sphinx fighting, which yeah. was your fault because you didn't want to do the quiz. But you certainly didn't fight the three-bodied man. Give Percy his credit. She's been awake for like 24 hours straight at this point. That's true. Yeah, yeah. That's valid. She's not necessarily fully at it. She's angry. Quintus comes down the stairs. He's got his sword at his side. And he's wearing jeans, boots, and he's still wearing his Camp Half-Blood Counselor shirt, which to Percy feels like an insult now that they know that he's a spy. And I wrote in my notes here, but do we know that? Yeah. Is that a certainty right now? I feel he's like just Percy also is here. convinced. And we knew he was going in the labyrinth, mm -hmm. so. Yeah, but we don't know for sure that he's a yeah. spy. We'll just have to see. Percy isn't sure that he could take Quintus in a sword fight if it came to it, but he figures if it comes to that, I'll just have to try and we'll see how it goes. Quintus knows that they think he's an agent of Kronos and that he's an underling of Luke's, but he tells them that they're wrong. He says that he only works for himself. Percy brings up Luke mentioning him and Garion knowing him and knowing that Quintus visited Garion's ranch before, all signs pointing to him being the spy. But Quintus says, well, of course I've been there. I've been almost everywhere, including this place. And he says that the view from the windows changes every day. Yesterday was Manhattan and the day before it was Lake Michigan, but it keeps returning to the Garden of the Gods. So I wrote here in my notes, oh, is that a real actual place? I was thinking, yeah, this is when I realized as well that it's a real place. It's a real actual place. And it was just an absolute layup for Uncle Rick to put it into the book series. Yeah. Held off for four books. Mm -hmm. Really waited. Yeah, just <laughs> biding his time, making sure the reveal would be cool. But yes, I guess that it's a real place. And if we did this show in Colorado Springs, people would be super hyped. But yeah, we're in Los Angeles, baby. <laughs> so what are you going to do? DOA Records, am I right? <laughs> it's the Underworld Show. <laughs> So because it keeps returning to the Garden of the Gods, he thinks that the labyrinth likes it here. Percy asks if it's a projection, but Rachel Elizabeth there says, no, they are actually in Colorado. I think it's so wild that with all the stuff that Percy's seen, he's like, this is an illusion, right? <laughs> <laughs> this is like a big screen somewhere. Oh, this is one of those <laughs> tech things where it's a- Haven't you just TV been in Texas now? and Alcatraz? So yeah, you would think that he yeah. might pick up on it, but I don't know. They're uh, they're really there. I guess maybe because they were in the futuristic room that he thinks it True. could be technology that at least could be the build yeah. that will throw our good friend Percy Jackson. Quintus can tell that Rachel Elizabeth Dare has clear vision, and he says that she reminds him of a mortal princess that he once knew. I'm guessing this would be Ariadne mentioned mm -hmm. from before, which at first I thought was strange, but then, hmm, Percy <laughs> is still not trusting Quintus. He accusatorily asks what he did with Daedalus, and Quintus reveals that he is Daedalus, <gasps> which I did not see coming at all. <laughs> and it was super duper cool, love yeah. this reveal, and when I read this earlier today, I audibly out loud, gasped and said, what? No way. And you were there and you got to hear it. Yeah, it's true. I knew exactly where you were. We were, 
We were in the car on the drive here, in case you think Shoops is not reading these chapters right before the episode. The, the deal is sacred, guys. He is locked in. In my defense, so it doesn't seem like I was slacking. We did what, we didn't show last night where you couldn't know this stuff. Exactly. Yeah. I did show last night and I had to read in between and I had to finish it up on the drive over, which was very long thanks to traffic. So I did get it all done. But yes, it was very surprising. I didn't see that coming. Yeah. And that's a perfect place. Cool. For oh. us to end act one of the show. Ooh, fun cliffhanger. We can transition over now to intermission. Hello, and welcome to the Admiral of the Labyrinth Oslo edition, coming to you live from our hotel in Oslo, which we just checked into. We just flew in, hopped off the plane with a dream in our cardigans, and we are ready to go for the show tomorrow for a TNO show and a Potterless show in Oslo. We had the Copenhagen shows last night that were super fun. You can still get tickets to the Oslo shows if you go to thenewsolympian.com slash live. And if you want to get tickets for the rest of the tour, there are still tickets available for TNO in Finland, as well as TNO and Potterless in Germany both in Berlin and in Munich. So you can get tickets to all of those at thenewsolympian.com slash live. As far as other updates to discuss, I am making ground on getting through some Patreon backlog stuff in terms of uploading bonus episodes and bonus audio. We just recently did a monthly Q&A live stream. And if you have joined recently and you're waiting for your physical merchandise, just a heads up that Kelly and I will do a big session of mailing things out when we get back from tour and vacation. And once we're back and situated in New York City, probably in like early June. So it's going to take a little bit. Normally, Kelly is very on top of shipping things, and I appreciate her so much for it. But it just wasn't feasible for us to be traveling with all of the patron goodies and stuff like that. We're basically just living out of suitcases for the next couple of months. But we will send all of those things once we're back and situated, rest assured. Even if you have to drop your patronage after you hit the two-month threshold, you're good. We'll send you your stuff. Don't worry. As long as you stick around for two months and you make two months of payments, we'll send you your stuff. That's how the policy is and always has been and always will be. Speaking of that Patreon, if you want to join and get some of these perks, you can join the Patreon at thenewestolympian.com slash Patreon. And I want to give a shout out to the folks who have joined most recently. So shout out to our newest super god tier patron, Matthias Gelstrup. Shout out to our newest god tier patrons, Marik Pelka, Billy Rowenhorst, Mallory Burns, Kimothy Wu Artworks, and someone who made their name Blue Plastic Hairbrush is greater than Riptide. And you know, I can't argue with that. And finally, shout out to our newest demigod tier patrons, Mirth Shooten, Sarah Cannon, Kendra Gregory, Cal Kennedy, and Aaliyah Manning. Thank you all so much for your support. May Hephaestus bless you to wear all of your gizmos and gadgets and all sorts of tools that you have, that they all work well and they last long and they don't break. Also, just a reminder, there's going to be no new TNO episode next week, just taking a week off. I always take off the months in which there are five Mondays, and then there's two other weeks that I take off just so that I don't go like five months without having any sort of break. So there's not going to be a new TNO episode next week, but there will be a Potterless episode in place. So if you check out the Potterless feed, I'm going to post something from an old live show. So there will still be content, just not TNO. And then we will be back for the first Monday in April to continue our coverage of Battle of the Labyrinth. Now, if you're all caught up on the News Olympian and you're looking for a new podcast to listen to, you could check out Horse. Horse is a comedic basketball podcast where me and my co-host Adam Mamawala talk about all things related to the NBA and the WNBA, but only the silly fun stuff. We don't really talk about the wins and losses. We just talk about the drama. We talk about fun storylines. We talk about interesting NBA and WNBA history. It's a very good time. And there were obviously lots of basketball references in this episode. And if you would like to understand them a little bit more and maybe become conversationally adept at discussing basketball, which is very fun. Basketball is so much fun. You can listen to Horse and it's very much a primer to how you can appreciate 
basketball and follow it as a fan. We have episodes called NBQ&A where we just answer questions and some of them are very basic like what is a rebound and others get more complex. It's a very fun podcast. I enjoy it and you can listen to it wherever you get your podcasts by searching for horse or going to horsehoops.com. Now before we get into the other ad reads that are going to happen, there's one thing that comes up in the Q&A later in this episode that I just wanted to very briefly discuss. One of the questions that someone sent in basically is asking what mythological creature is our spirit animal. And I know spirit animal is one of those things with native indigenous culture that you're just not supposed to say. It's one of those things where like people associate it with those cultures, but it's just not a thing, like how totem poles don't actually rank things. Uh, obviously, I was just reading a question that was sent in, and I tried my best to kind of word it to what I thought was more appropriate, calling it like a Patronus or an animal that you embody. But that's just something I wanted to make sure was in there, because if you didn't know, then maybe you'll know. Someone explained that to me once in a very helpful email one time when I said totem pole on an old episode of Potterless. They explained that and spirit animal and some other common misconceptions. And it was very helpful. So if I can be helpful to you, there we go. Now you're going to hear some ads from a few sponsors who make it feasible for me to be a full-time podcaster. Some of these ads will be read by me. Others of them won't. The ones that are not read by me are inserted locally. So if you live in Oslo, don't be surprised if you hear an ad for Boots because there's a bunch of snow here, and it seems like boots are the proper shoe to walk around the city in. I'm glad that I packed mine, but once those ads are complete, we'll get back to this episode of The Newest Olympian. For six generations, the Jones family has been providing high-quality meats. And now, we're providing treats for the best member of your family, man's best friend, a.k.a. the goodest boys and girls. Jones Natural Shoes makes bones and treats that are sure to be savored by your dog, and are made from the best natural ingredients available. Our flavorful chews are made from natural animal parts, and will have your puppy drooling with happiness. From treats like sticks and chews to savory bones and patties, we've got you covered for finding the perfect reward for that special pup in your life. Jones Natural Chews come in all sizes, so make sure to choose the right treat for your pup. And remember, it's important to be supervising your pup when they're enjoying their treats to keep your puppy safe. Jones Natural Chews. Available at a pet store near you. Or visit jonesnaturalchews.com to get started with our store locator tool. That's Jones Natural Chews. Available at a pet store near you. Amplify your career through training and development solutions specifically designed for federal government professionals. From courses to help you attain or retain certification, to individualized coaching services, to programs that hone your leadership skills and business acumen, Management Concepts optimizes your professional development. Online, in person, individually, or groups, it's training that's measurably better. Learn more at managementconcepts.com. That's managementconcepts.com. How's it going, everybody? Good to see you. I missed you so dearly. Hope you had a good intermission. Let's wrap up the rest of chapter 15. Oh, lost my place in my I, notes. I'm back, too. I cool. haven't said anything yet. <laughs> wow, that's so easy. <laughs> cool. <laughs> okay, so where we last left, we learned that Quintus is Daedalus. Oh. Narrator Percy says the following, there were a lot of answers I might have given because Quintus said it in some sort of question of yeah. like, who do you think I am? I am Daedalus. There are a lot of answers I might have given from quote, I knew that to liar to yeah, right. And I'm Zeus. <laughs> the only thing I could think to say was, but you're not an inventor. You're a swordsman. It's Quint a really good point. Cause <laughs> nobody could pick up new skills. Not at all. And that's basically what Quintus I mean, says. Quintus is like, I picked up a new skill. <laughs> I know a couple of it. things. 
I'm 2,000 years I'm, old. I know a thing or two. He says that he is both of those things, yeah. as well as an architect, a scholar, and a hooper. He says he plays basketball, which I was very excited about. Welcome to which position does Quintus play on Mike and Grant's show? Oh, oh man. I think he's a three. Yeah? Yeah, he's I on think the he's wing. a three. Because, like, he, I don't know. Maybe he isn't described as tall, but I've imagined him as, like, very tall and thin, especially mm -hmm. now that I know that his body's sort of fake. Yeah. Like... <laughs> I don't know why that makes me think thin, but it does. Yeah. No, I can see him as a wing. I feel like I could see him as a point guard because he's very much trying to like scheme and plan. And it's true. Think. He's so it could be like the floor general. Yeah, he's scheming mm -hmm. and plotting. Everyone on the edge of their seat, loving the basketball talk. <laughs> but I do appreciate that the way he said it, he said that he's pretty good for someone who didn't start until he was the age of 2,000 years yeah. old, which is always the classic Joel Embiid thing, who's a very good player in the Philadelphia 76ers. And everyone's like, oh, did you know Joel Embiid didn't play basketball until he was 16? It's like, well, yeah. He's seven foot three, so he's, <laughs> he's got a pretty good starting point to learn to play basketball. I think he's read the books, Joel. You think he's read the Percy Jackson books? Yeah, I think he has. I don't. I don't know that impossible. for sure. It just feels like vibe wise. He, <laughs> vibe I'll reach wise, out. He has. I'll try to get him on the show. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'll text him. Dear Joel Embiid, I know you're very busy, but. <laughs> Percy is still in disbelief about this. He says that Quintus looks nothing like Daedalus from his dreams, but then it dawns on Percy, and Quintus can see that it's dawning on Percy, that he's putting it together. Percy says that Quintus is an automaton, and that he made a new body, and that is, I know, right? <laughs> it's super cool. That is super duper duper cool. That's actually the sound it makes when he lies down. <laughs> Pretty good. <laughs> I'm so, it could happen to anybody. Point. I'm so sorry. It's all good. It is all good. You've made the show better by letting us riff <laughs> on it. I thought that was awesome. I did not think of that, but yeah. it makes sense. I, I yeah. figured he was going to figure out immortality, but just automaton, I don't know why it didn't come to mind. Yeah. It just felt like because of Perdix's plan with the magic and all of that, it felt like it was going to be more spiritual and less just like get the thing in the robot, boom. Yeah. Annabeth thinks that this is impossible. Quintus chuckles and asks if she knows what Quintus means because she took Latin just like I took Latin in high school, just like you took Latin in high school. I did as well. Pretty good stuff. We all know that Quintus means fifth, but she doesn't understand exactly how that is relevant. But Quintus says that this is his fifth body. And he presses his elbow to reveal a part of his mechanical forearm behind his flesh. And it's got gears and wires and all this yeah. stuff spinning. Very iRobot. Yeah, does he just do that to be like, did he install that for the purpose of being like, okay, come on. It, I feel like it has to be just yeah. to prove I'm an automaton in case yeah, of emergency. He got sick of it around body three and he was like, <sighs> everyone I'm keeps gonna put asking. a little hood so everybody can look at the engine. <laughs> <laughs> look, if you see someone that's an automaton, you just think of all the questions that they've been asked and you don't ask this question. Rachel Elizabeth there thinks that this is amazing. Percy thinks that this is weird. And Annabeth thinks that the idea of transferring an animus into a machine is just not natural. He assures her that it's still him. And he says that their mother Athena is sure to remind him of that any chance she gets. He reveals the mark on his neck, which is shaped like a bird. Annabeth says that it is a murderer's brand. And Percy guesses that it's for Perdix, who he even says this to Daedalus, or Quintus, or both, <laughs> says Perdix, who you pushed off of a tower. And Quintus tries to say, well, I didn't push him, <laughs> which is just, dude, come on. Percy calls him out for a saying, okay, yeah, you just uh, you just let him die. Is that better? Which is not it's better. the darkest scene in the whole series. Really like, tough. 
that happened in Breaking Bad. <laughs> you know? like, I mean, yeah. Anyway. Quentin says that he regrets what he did. He says that he was angry and bitter, but he can't take it back now. And he adds that as Perdix died, Athena turned Perdix into a partridge and then branded that image onto his neck, onto Quintus's neck. And he notes that this mark follows him no matter what body he is in. So it follows him from body to body. I feel like it's a pretty light punishment as far as the great gods go. Yeah. It's like cool bird tattoo on your neck. <laughs> Get some other tattoos, it blends right in. I feel like there's probably some other stuff going on. Yeah. I feel like there's probably just intense guilt. The fact that it's been 2,000 years and he still isn't necessarily over it. He seems like a lot chiller as Quintus than he does in the Daedalus flashbacks. Yeah. Like, it does seem like he's gotten to some sort of peace. Right. Which I resent. Some sort of... <laughs> Some sort of peace, but he doesn't feel like this washes away the right, right, nephew right. murder, yeah, you yeah. know. So Percy looks Quintus in the eyes and then realizes that he is the same man from the dreams with the same intelligence and the same sadness. He can just kind of see that look. And Percy is now convinced. And what's cool here is that now he starts calling him Daedalus instead of Quintus as the narrator, mm -hmm. which made things interesting. But then he also reverts back to Quintus for one line later on. So I don't oh. know if you can just like go back and forth or if it's like, you are now Daedalus. Regardless, starts calling him Daedalus here. And he wonders why Daedalus would come to the camp to spy. And then I just wrote here, okay, so is he actually the spy? Because I'm still on team thinking it's Juniper, which is not looking good. <laughs> Anymore. Daedalus says that he wanted to see if the camp was worth saving. He had heard Luke's side of the story, but he wanted to see for himself to arrive at his own conclusion. Percy says, so you have talked to Luke. And Daedalus says, oh yes, several times. He is quite persuasive, which I find very... Yeah, he doesn't speak in multiple sentences at once. <laughs> at least in this book, it's one sentence at a time with Luke. And they're all like, and I'm going to get you. <laughs> so, yeah. All right. Cool. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I, I just find this whole dynamic interesting. It makes me wonder what the conversations were. Were they just like that, where he just says a thing and then Luke just goes, man. Yeah. <laughs> Daedalus's plan as presented in this chapter, mm -hmm. I hope there's more to it. Right. Because it does feel like I'm trying to uh, play a titan. I've lived 2,000 years, and like my, my move is I'm going to play the gods against each other, and I'm not going to get hit in the middle. I'll be totally fine. This hasn't that worked for a bunch to of everybody people. else, and also me uh -huh. in the past. No, it, it's been bad to everyone else, but this time it'll be different. It's much like, I'm so glad we found a natural transition for yeah, this, please. Russell Westbrook getting signed by the Los <laughs> Angeles Clippers. A murmur from the nerds yeah. in the crowd. We just had to get it in. We have to stop, though. We'll talk for way too long. They hated it. <laughs> I want to talk about it. I do, too. We'll save that for a horse live show. But Annabeth presses him, saying that he's seen the camp and that he's seen that they need his help, so why doesn't he decide to help them? Can't let Luke through the maze. Daedalus says that the maze is no longer his to control, even if he created it. He says, cool, I've allowed it to live and grow on its own. That is the price I pay for privacy. Annabeth asks, privacy from what? And he says, from the gods and death. He says he's been alive for two millennia, just avoiding death. Percy asks how he can hide from Hades, especially when Hades has the Furies, but Daedalus says that they can't know and see everything. He says that only his greatest enemy has kept after him, and that is Minos, and he says that even Minos has been thwarted, and, you know, he's avoiding death from him. Percy guesses 
that he was referring to Minos, Daedalus confirms, and he explains that Minos, who is now a judge of the dead, wants nothing more than for Daedalus to come before him so that he can punish him for his crimes. And he says that Minos has haunted his dreams ever since Coculus' daughters killed him. Yeah, that was also pretty dark. I don't think it happened in Breaking Bad, but it was pretty dark. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think it happened either, but yes, having haunting dreams for 2,000 years, not yeah. ideal. He said that his only choice was to hide in the labyrinth and make his ultimate accomplishment cheating death. Annabeth is a little impressed that he's been able to cheat death for 2,000 straight years. And then they hear a loud bark, and in rushes Mrs. O'Leary. <laughs> Very excited that she's back. So she licks Percy and almost knocks over Daedalus with an excited leap. Daedalus is overjoyed to see her. Percy relays that he's still surprised that the whistle actually worked. And Daedalus says, of course it did, Percy. You have a good heart, and I knew Mrs. O'Leary liked you. I wanted to help you. Perhaps I... I felt guilty as well. <laughs> sure. It does seem like most of his emotions are actually guilt Guilt, yeah. yeah. I did a bad thing, yeah. and then I felt guilty about it. That yeah. makes it okay. <laughs> Percy asks guilty about what? Daedalus says that the quest would be in vain. Annabeth is confused because Daedalus can still help them, and she asks for the string so that Luke can't get it. But Daedalus says, yes, the string. I told Luke that the eyes of a clear-sighted mortal are the best guide, but he did not trust me. He was so focused on the idea of a magic item, and the string works. It's not as accurate as your mortal friend here, perhaps, but good enough, good enough. Annabeth asks where it is. Daedalus answers that it's with Luke, and he says that she is several hours too late. So if he handed it over to him, yeah, I'll just be happened, upset. Yeah. yeah, how many hours are several hours? Did they, like, just miss it? Time's funky time notoriously also in the labyrinth. Of course, of course. I think it's three. Oh, all right. Yeah. Three hours. <laughs> Percy realizes now why Luke was in such good spirits in the arena. He already had the string. His only obstacle at that point was Antaeus, and Percy handled that for him. So again, classic Percy making the mistake of accidentally helping out Luke yeah. slash Kronos. Narrator Percy calls him Quintus as Quintus says this quote, Kronos promised me freedom. Once Hades is overthrown, he will set me over the underworld. I will reclaim my son Icarus. I will make things right with poor young Perdix. I will see Minos' soul cast into Tartarus where it cannot bother me again, and I will no longer have to run from death. It's got one too many steps. It's right. just like, yeah. like, like you had to like look at it and read it, mm -hmm. you know? It's like, it's just got one too many steps. It's just not happening. And it's predicated on, I'm just going to let these guys destroy the world. Right. And then there's going to be this cool new job opening. Yeah. And then I'm going to swoop in and do all the things that I want to do. And I don't care if the whole yeah. world gets destroyed in the process. I get to do the four things I feel bad about. Yeah. Mm -hmm. He's gonna feel bad about destroying the world. I as mean, soon yes, as the world is right, gone, right. As soon as, the, as soon as the world is gone, he's gonna start feeling guilty about it. Exactly. Annabeth calls out his plan for being absolute trash and putting countless people in danger. Quintus says that their cause is hopeless. They cannot stop Kronos, and that's why he joined the other side. He was like, "Ah, you guys are screwed. I'm gonna take Easy Street, much like Kevin Durant." Okay, we gotta. Keep it. <laughs> Annabeth says that he's wrong and pushes over an easel. She says, I used to respect you. You were my hero. You, you built amazing things. You solved problems. Now, dot, 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 I don't know what you are. Children of Athena are supposed to be wise, not just clever. Maybe you are just a machine. You should have died 2,000 years ago, which is intense. That's one of those, he'll think about it yeah. all the time. Right before yeah. he goes to sleep, like, God, nah. What does she mean by that? Grumble, grumble, grumble. <laughs> Minos. Daedalus doesn't get mad. 
he just hangs his head and tells them that they should warn the camp now that Luke has the string. But he's cut short as Rachel Elizabeth Dare warns that someone is coming. The workshop doors fling open and a chained up Nico D'Angelo is pushed inside, followed by Kelly with an eye, two Lacerogonian giants, and Minos. Everybody's here. Everyone's here. <laughs> Everyone we don't want to see is here except for Luke. And now a big problem with Minos is that he looks semi-solid, like he is maybe not just a ghost anymore. Yeah. Not what you want, big uh-oh. Daedalus angrily asks Kelly what is going on. She says that Luke sends his regards and that he thought Daedalus might want to be reunited with his old employer. And I really hope that this bites Luke in the butt later. I hope that mm. Daedalus sees the error of Luke's ways and then maybe goes, ah, you brought Minos around. I'm gonna take revenge of sorts. I hope that Luke trying to be cocky here is his comeuppance. Hoping for some hubris. You can't say anything. <laughs> Daedalus says... Notoriously that, absent from Greek stories. <laughs> <laughs> Daedalus says that this wasn't part of the deal. Kelly agrees, but adds that they have what they want and they've no other commitments to hold up. Now, Minos is willing to hand over Nico, but he wanted something else from them, Daedalus's head. And here's what it was said in the book. Daedalus paled treachery. Kelly said, get used to it. <laughs> Percy asks Nico if he's okay. He nods and apologizes. He says that Minos told him that Percy was in danger and convinced him to re-enter the maze. Percy is floored that Nico was trying to help them. Nico says that he was tricked. And then he says he tricked all of us. I don't know who us is. Yeah. It feels like you got tricked. Literally everyone is like, Nico's talking to that ghost guy. I don't trust him. Right. <laughs> I don't think anybody was trusting Ah, Mr. He's talking to himself Minos again. Here. I don't think that's good. Maybe, maybe he meant him and Eurition slash Eurition slash however you pronounce that guy's name. Maybe it was. Yeah, maybe. That was the us. I'm not sure. Percy asks Kelly, where's Luke and why he isn't here? She gives a cruel smile and says that he's busy preparing for the attack. She tells him not to worry, though, because they have friends on the way. And in the meantime, she wants a snack. She then exposes her claws. Her hair turns to fire and her legs go to the classic form of one donkey leg and one bronze leg. Rachel Elizabeth Dare whispers to Percy to ask him if he thinks that the wings are a viable means of escape. Percy tells her to get them and that he'll buy her some time. And then we get intense action scene. Yeah. Which I feel like I'm just going to go through the whole notes yeah, yeah, of this yeah. and just kind of I think just like recap here, the whole you deal. Okay. Ladies and gentlemen, Mike Schubert describes an action scene. <laughs> <laughs> thank you, thank you, thank you. Annabeth and Percy charge Kelly. The giants go for Daedalus, Mrs. O'Leary defends, and Nico is pushed to the ground. Minos cries for them to kill Daedalus. Rachel Elizabeth Dare grabs the wings undetected. Kelly slashes at Annabeth. Percy tries to get her with Riptide, but she evades. Mrs. O'Leary bites the arm of a giant, and he tries to shake her off his arm. And now I need to readjust my perception of Mrs. O'Leary, because I thought she was as big as Clifford the Big Red Dog. Mm. <laughs> So I thought she was absolutely huge. So for her to be smaller than an arm means either she's smaller than I think she is or the giant is way bigger than I think he is or a combination of the two. I'm really excited for the show so I can get some perspective up in the mix. <laughs> or maybe I'll read the graphic novel or something with an illustration. I need to know how big Mrs. O'Leary is. Anyway, back to the action. The giant tries to shake Mrs. O'Leary off of his arm. While that is happening, Daedalus tries to grab his sword, but the other giant stops him from doing so. But he knocks over some Greek fire when he's trying to stop Daedalus, and flames begin to spread throughout the workshop. Minos calls out for the spirits of the dead to rise. Nico, who somehow broke free from his shackles, narrative person is like, I don't know how you got out of these. <laughs> he cries no and gets to his feet. 
Mino says, you do not control me, young fool. All this time, I've been controlling you. A soul for a soul, yes, but it is not your sister who will return from the dead. It is I, as soon as I slay the inventor. And of course, this is a classic, like, he's six inches from finishing his plan. And he's like, here's the whole plan, buddy. <laughs> let me take some time to let you know what it is. Oh no, I've been thwarted. Spirits form around Minos and begin to multiply and then solidify into Cretan soldiers. Nico states that he is the son of Hades and commands him to leave, but it's of no use. Minos laughs, saying that Nico has no power over him, for he is the Lord of Spirits. And Nico says, No, I am. And he stabs his black Stygian blade into the ground and it cuts through the stone like butter. Cool. Very cool. <laughs> Minos's form ripples as he says, never, I will not, and the ground shakes, the windows break, and a fissure opens in the floor, which sucks in Minos and all of his spirits, and they all scream as they enter this chasm in the floor. Narrator Percy says, the bad news. The fight was still going on all around us, and I let myself get distracted. Kelly pounced on me so fast I had no time to defend myself. My sword skittered away, and I hit my head hard on a work table as I fell. My eyesight went fuzzy. I couldn't raise my arms. I love that this started with the bad news, colon. Yeah. <laughs> it's just such a great <laughs> formatting decision. Kelly laughs and says that Percy will taste wonderful. She exposes her fangs, but then her body goes stiff. Her red eyes widen. She gasps, and she says, no, school spirit. And I don't like this because she hasn't been saying cheerleader stuff the whole yeah. time. Yeah. So I don't know why that is her choice for dying words. Yeah. I, I'm, my brain is on a tangent that is not worth exploring. <laughs> okay. <laughs> okay, here's what it's about. <laughs> Maybe um, she plays Smells Like Teen Spirit every time she kills someone. Uh, and it's not playing and that's how she knows in fact she has been killed. All right. It's canon now. Now, this was Annabeth who dealt the final blow to Kelly with an eye. She takes her knife out of Kelly's back. Kelly dissolves into yellow vapor. Annabeth helps up Percy, who still feels dizzy, but he knows they have to act quickly to help Quintus and Mrs. O'Leary. Percy yells to Rachel Elizabeth Dare that they have to help Daedalus. Rachel Elizabeth Dare says that there's no time and there's too many monsters arriving. She has wings on already. She's working on getting Nico's all set up. Nico is noted to be looking like he is exhausted. I hope that means he's okay when he flies. She says that Percy is next, and then eventually they all get their wings on. Percy feels the wind rushing in from the now open windows. Fire is burning all the furniture in the workshop, and Percy yells for Daedalus to join them. He's got cuts all over his body, and instead of blood, he's bleeding out golden oil. He tells them to go because he won't leave Mrs. O'Leary behind. He grabs his sword, and he begins to use a part of a smashed table as a shield to fend off whoever is approaching. Percy knows that there's no time to argue, and he also thinks, I don't know if we'd win the fight if I stuck around anyway, so let's get out of here. So they decide that they're gonna go. Nico brings up that none of them know how to fly. Percy says, great time to find out, and they all <laughs> jump out of the window into the open sky, and yeah. that is the end of this chapter. Incredible. Yeah, it's really good stuff. Thanks for reading all that. Of course, no yeah. problem, yeah. yeah. And that is the end of the chapter, and that is almost the end of the episode, but we do have Q&A to do for a little Let's bit. Let's do it. Let's do some Q&A. So this first question comes from a longtime listener of the show, just picking this one at random, Kelly Beckman Schubert. <laughs> um, Kelly asks, if animals could talk, which would be the rudest and which would be the kindest? Oh. Hmm. Of all animals? Of all animals. Who would be the rudest and who would be the kindest? Um, hmm. 
Seagulls would be the rudest. Oh, that's a good one. All they do is try to steal your food. That's They'd a good be the rudest. one. And I guess I would say pigeons would be the kindest because they just want to stay out of everybody's way. Yeah. I think um, hippos would be the rudest because they're super dangerous, but they look really cute and oh, they have like a complex about that, right? Okay, okay. Um, and uh, my cat, Bastet, who you can follow on Instagram at Bastet the Cryptid, would be the kindest. I, I promise you I would get the plug in at some point. Hey, <laughs> I'm glad you got the plug in. You found a way to work it in. I sort of mumbled the second half of the You want to get yeah. it again to make at sure they know? Bastet the Cryptid on can, Instagram. Can confirm, super cute cat. We set up the air mattress for me at Grant's place and immediately the cat was like, for me? She loves, <laughs> she loves the air mattress. Big, big fan of it. This next question is from Matthew Fuller. Matthew asks, since we're in Santa Monica, dot, 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 have you slash will you be recreating the Aries versus Percy fight at the beach? <laughs> I do not want to get arrested. <laughs> so I do not know that I will do that but I appreciate it. And I do like that we are in Santa Monica, which he is will literally be doing that. in the book. He will be doing that uh, tomorrow <laughs> if you show up to the beach. <laughs> That's me, baby. He will be playing both parts. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so this one is from Catherine. Catherine says, hi, Mike. Thanks for coming to LA. Here's a question. Since you and Kelly had to plan a wedding in the last few years, I'm curious how you would approach planning Percy and Annabeth's wedding <laughs> or how you think they would approach it. Venues, colors, location, etc. Love your podcast. Hmm. So Percy and Annabeth's wedding. It's got to be in a very secure location. <laughs> yeah. Because some shit is going to go down. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I feel like it would definitely be the thing where Annabeth does all of the planning and Percy really has to get dragged along throughout the process. I think that's probably right, but I like to believe that he like cares about the color scheme. Right. And I don't know why. And I feel like he would fight for a really cheesy one. He would be like, it has to be orange and black because it can't half blood. And she'd be like, do we want a wedding that looks like Halloween? And, she'd, and he'd be like, oh, come on, it's the camp. I feel like he'd be persistent about that. He would also, if that wasn't it, he'd make sure it was blue or that all the food was blue, oh. and he would be really, really persistent about making that happen. Yeah, I think he's gonna force blue into the color scheme, but sure. blue is fine. It's good, yeah. yeah, yeah. You could do blue and orange instead of black and orange, yeah. and then it would just be nice like contrasting colors instead of, I don't know, I'm a Knicks fan, they're blue and orange, what am I gonna do? <laughs> I like it, it's a good combination. Oh, here we go, have to pick this one, this one's from Katie. Percy Jackson, Kingdom Hearts World, question and answer. Okay, here we go. Hello, since PJO is a Disney product now and could be included in Kingdom Hearts, what would Percy Jackson World be like, and more importantly, the Keyblade? I was going to ask about the disappointing representation of basketball, but I hear this is actually a Kingdom Hearts podcast. <laughs> nice, nice, nice. Thank you, Katie. Yeah, I mean, I would feel like the Keyblade would just look like Riptide. Yeah. So I feel like that's checked there. But in terms of the world, because in Kingdom Hearts, you go to different Disney worlds and then you have to like solve some sort yeah. of quest or problem for a character. I, the the tricky part is differentiating it from the Hercules world. So like right. maybe you're just combining them. But I think actually the labyrinth is the a labyrinth good setting. The labyrinth is pretty good. Because it's there's nothing like that in Hercules, but right. you could still have like everybody's shown up in the labyrinth. Apparently everybody mm -hmm. has always known about it and knows how to use it. <laughs> uh, so yeah, you could have some sort of finding Daedalus in the labyrinth situation. Yeah, I think that could work. I don't know what the final big boss fight at the end of the book will be. I'm yeah. assuming that there will be one. So it could be that and then you avoid the arena, which is very reminiscent of the Hercules arena in the Kingdom oh, Hearts yeah, games. So true. they could avoid that and it could just be that. Yeah, uh, Disney, hit us up. <laughs> All right, so this one is from Ashley. The subject line is LA traffic sucks in all caps. 
Firstly, just want to say that listening to you and Kelly in the podcast made me realize that you two are totally Percy and Annabeth variants, and it makes me very happy that you found each other. I'm happy about that, too. <laughs> As for my question, which of the big reveals in the series has been your favorite so far? Which one did you find the most surprising? I mean, I was pretty shocked by the one in this chapter. That yeah. was, that was good one. quite surprising. I do not think I would have guessed that in like a million years of the Quintus Dittala stuff. So I think that's probably the most surprising. I don't know if it's my favorite, but I think that is at least the one where if you gave me a piece of paper and you were like, write out everything yeah. you think it could be, I would not have guessed that. Yeah. The shoes in the first book are still pretty good. Yeah. yeah. Just that they're actually evil. Yeah, the, the evil shoes, yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Okay, this one is from Danielle Hart. Danielle says, Hi, Shubes. Is that a pigeon I spy on your shirt? Yes, it is. <laughs> Had to wear it for the show, baby. All right, let's go. This one is from Carly. This is really important, dot, dot, dot. The subject line was all caps as well. What is the largest animal you think you could take in a fight? <laughs> and if you can't take it on yourself, which Percy Jackson character would you recruit to squat up with? Yeah. For that, I would take on Grover, and I'd be like, Grover, tell them to stop fighting me. <laughs> but as far as the biggest animal I think I could take in a fight, I don't know. I don't think I'd be pretty good at fighting. I've never done any sort of like fighting extracurricular. Yeah. Like I didn't take karate or jujitsu or boxing or any of that stuff. I did like two boxing classes once as like a work team building thing when I worked at a digital marketing agency. You're dodging the question. I know. <laughs> I don't know who I could take. The biggest one I could take, I don't, I feel bad because then... And I'm talking about kicking the crap out of some animal. It would have to be like punting size. Like I don't, because I feel like the only thing I could do is just like do a big kick. And yeah. That's it. So I won't say a specific animal to like yeah. put any animals on blast, but I think it, I don't think I could take something particularly large. Like I couldn't take a bear or like yeah. a tiger or a lion. Like no way, no sorry. Yeah. I think if you like put a bear on another bear's shoulders, like I could fight that. Oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Because you're a big Mike. <laughs> Nothing can stop you. I was like, either I'm picking the smallest. I'm doing whatever my kids are doing. I'm picking the smallest thing or I'm picking the biggest thing. <laughs> All right, let's see. We'll do a couple more and then we got to go. Okay. Aiden asks, for all of us stuck in podcast land right now, we haven't heard you talk about chapter 11 yet. I'm dying to know, what was your reaction to the kiss? Uh, well, you will hear about this, but I was on the subway reading this on my e-reader and Kelly was next to me and I just started shaking her. <laughs> Start going like, they're doing it, they're doing it. I was very, very, very excited about that. Super stoked about it. It was very cool and great. Zach asks, hey, Shubes, glad to have you in LA. What's your favorite thing or things that you've done here so far? Love the show. Well, I would guess I'll have to say like all things in Los Angeles because today's day involved waking up, doing some work, getting in the car with Grant. Yeah, waking up in San Diego. <laughs> mm-hmm, yes. <laughs> Driving up from San Diego to here getting to Grant's place, doing some more work, hanging out with Bedina Campamanes, who did the theme song of this show and a lot of other shows in a park. It's gotta for, be that. I mean, for, yeah, yeah. That's probably of the day. That's gotta be the best one. And then getting here and then getting all set up. So yeah, yeah. the 45 minutes of today where I wasn't working were my favorite <laughs> part of the day. I had a Sierra Mist earlier. It was really good. It was pretty good. Yeah. It was just a rarity because they're getting rid of it. It's I know. Now, it's it's really the, tough for me. What's the new thing now? I Star, don't care. Starry I'm not, I'm not going over. You can't convince me. Yeah. The bubbles are nice in a Sierra Mist. Mm-hmm. You know, it's different than a Sprite. I like that. You've taken the, uh, the road less the, traveled. Yeah. You're such a hipster. Yeah, thank you. Okay, this one comes from Rachel Williams. Rachel, I'm answering this because I saw in the preview, it said, drove three hours to be here and loving the show. Now, did Same. you just come from like a different part of Los Angeles or... <laughs> Because that might not be a very impressive feat. 
We have heard you talk about all of our mythical creatures' friends. Who would you pick as your spirit mythical creature, both to Mike and Grant? Um, so if we had like a mythical creature that you think that you embody, yeah, uh, like what would be your like Patronus, if you will, but it's got to be a mythical creature. Does it, um, this doesn't count. Maybe it does will. A, does the Loch Ness Monster count? Yes! Yeah! I feel a lot, and also Babe the Big Blue Ox. I feel okay. a lot of similarity with these two creatures. Why? Let's hear it. I look at them and I'm like, that's me. <laughs> <laughs> Pretty good. Pretty good. I don't, yeah, there's no, nothing more than that. I like it. I'm trying to think of a, hmm. You know what? I might go with Scooby-Doo. Oh, yeah. Loves to eat food. Big snack guy. Yeah. Loves a good mystery. Uh-huh. And he's very loyal to his friends. And I like to yeah. try to be a loyal friend myself. And I think he's a mythical creature, talking dog. You don't see that every day. Yeah, so. I th- yeah. Well, let's count it. Yeah, yeah, we'll count it. All right, what better place to end the show? Thank you all so much for coming out. Thank Give you. yourselves a round of applause for coming out. Give it up to Grant for being an incredible guest as well. And also give a round of applause to everyone at The Crow, everyone who's helping with like sound and hospitality and merch and logistics. Everyone here has been a delight. So please give the whole so nice. The Crow team a round of applause. So thank you all so much. I am not going to be able to stick around after the show because I just got to like clean up this and then go upstairs because we have Potterless in like 20 minutes. These exact $100 bills have to come out of that gun in 20 minutes. (laughs) Thank you all so much. I really appreciate it. But until next time, as uh, you know, until we meet again, as we are uh, parting ways to sit in traffic for 35,000 hours because we're here in Los Angeles. Until then, I'll Thanks so much for coming out, everybody. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of The Newest Olympian. This podcast is created, hosted, and produced by me, Mike Schuber. I also run the social media and the website. Our editor is Sherry Guo. The music is by Bettina Campomanos and Brandon Grugel, and the art is by Jessica E. Boyd. If you love the show, you're all caught up on the show, and you just can't get enough, you should check out our Patreon, where you can get access to loads of bonus content, bonus episodes, bloopers, director's commentary, monthly Q&A live streams, all sorts of good stuff lives at thenewsolympian.com slash Patreon. And if you want to rep the show, you can get some merch at thenewsolympian.com slash merch. If you want to be part of a larger community, you can join the Patreon, get access to our Discord, but you can also check us out on social media. We're at News Olympian on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. We have a subreddit, reddit.com slash r slash the News Olympian. We even have a TikTok account that Sherry runs. It's at News Olympian. Lots of good stuff on social media. This show wouldn't be possible without our patrons, and I want to give a shout out to our ultra god tier patrons. Lada Bartova, Kelsey Gillespie, The Damn Steam Nuggets, Vicky Garcia, Ellie Hoskovchova, Veronica Bartova, Haley Hastings, Robin Garcia, Frida Vickstrom, Megan Moon, Olivia Y, Craig McRoberts, Taylor Payne, Giselle Salvador, Peter Johnson, The Twins, Sabrina Balsiger, Bony Pony, Heather McMillan, Casey Williams, Polly Burge, Nikki Harris, Tatiana Schmidt, Sandra Rose, Bridget Lowry, Josh Sayer, Josh Wilkie, Abby Ryan, Wise Girl, Ashton Gabrielson, Marco Redhouse, Falcon, Joey, James, Christopher, William Boucher, Caden Max, Sam Sam Ruby, Carly Allen, Riley Kitas, Mary Kelly, Audra, Mackenzie, Mrs. O'Leary, Aaron Wood, Rodith Kalna, Milo Kim, Fred Cabras, Harlan Christ, Cece Reads 23, Sankoff, Julia Kendall, Emil Oscar Thomason, Liz Cardigan, Michelle Spurgeon, Zachary Hamilton, Sarah Neal, Ricky, Francesca Pacheco, John Drillsma, Demi Godner, Rayla Matthews, Riley Draken, and Luna Kadu. If you want to help out the show in a 
non-monetary way, tell a friend about the show. That really helps a ton. Reach out to someone directly and say, hey, you love Percy Jackson, or hey, you've been looking for an excuse to read Percy Jackson. There's this podcast. It's very good. The host is very humble. You could also talk about us on social media or leave us a rating and review on whatever podcast app you're using. All these things help, and I really appreciate all of you who have done that or will do it in the future. But I'm just so thankful that you tuned into this episode, and I hope you tune into our next episode, where we are joined by Kelly Schubert, live in San Francisco, to cover chapter 16 of Battle of the Labyrinth. And just a reminder that that one isn't coming out next week. It's coming out on April 3rd. But until then, I'll see you later. Hey, how's it going? It's me, ASMR Mike. So recently when I was walking around Copenhagen, there was a point where we were near the water and there were some nice little waves that were splashing in and I recorded them on my phone. So here's the audio from the splashing waves in Copenhagen, Denmark. Thank you so much for listening. Pulling up to Mickey D's just for drinks? Oh yeah, that's me. Nothing extra, just perfection and a straw. Coming in hot for the coldest cups on the block. Because there are drinks. Then there are drinks from McDonald's. Mix things up with any size lemonade or sweet tea for $1.49. Perfect with our classic fries. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Amplify your career through training and development solutions specifically designed for federal government professionals. From courses to help you attain or retain certification, to individualized coaching services, to programs that hone your leadership skills and business acumen, Management Concepts optimizes your professional development. Online, in person, individually, or groups, it's training that's measurably better. Learn more at managementconcepts.com. That's managementconcepts.com.